This podcast episode contains explicit, homophobic, and transphobic language. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is recorded at CFRC, which is located on the Queen's University campus. Queen's University is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. At Oberg, we are deeply committed to all efforts of decolonization at Queen's, in Kingston, and throughout Turtle Island.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first official episode of the People's History Podcast, the offspring of our People's History Project. We are OPER Kingston, which stands for Ontario Public Interest Research Group. We are a student-run group with a focus on research, education, and action on everything related to social and environmental justice. The People's History Podcast, aka what you're listening to right now, aims to recognize and preserve the important roles that Kingstonians and Queenstons have played in many social movements throughout the years. The stories of people who struggled for social and environmental justice often go untold in official histories. So, the People's History Project seeks to remedy these silences by bringing these stories to life. So, if you've ever been curious about how Kingston and Queens, as we know it came to be, you are listening to the right podcast. June was Pride Month, and today we're kicking off the podcast with a nod to Kingston Pride. Here in Kingston, there were plenty of different celebrations to attend, ranging from parties, movie screenings, coffee nights, art shows like the annual Reel Out Video and Film Festival, which just celebrated its 20th anniversary, and of course, the parade itself. But in Kingston, it's not like LGBT Pride ends after June. There are always regular events going on for the queer community, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Oprah Kingston to stay updated. Pride has come a long way, and the LGBT community sure has a lot to celebrate. But of course, celebration rarely comes without struggle. Kingston Pride hasn't always been this way, and today we're talking about the struggle to bring the first official Pride Day to Kingston. The Queen's Homophile Association was founded in 1973, quite a few years before Kingston had their first official Pride. The group's members were at the forefront of the battle for Kingston to have a citywide Pride event. Kingston and the Queen's community weren't always such a friendly place to live for members of the LGBT community. The Queen's Homophile Association was founded in 1973 after a homophobic article was published in the satire Queen's magazine, The Golden Words, quite a few years before Kingston had their first official pride. This group had members who were at the forefront of the battle for Kingston to have a city-wide pride. In 1984, Francois Lachance, a member of the Queen's Homophile Association, submitted a request to the City Council to have a publicly recognized Pride Day. The request would soon become the first of many. Not only did the City not approve the request, they chose to ignore it entirely by filing it away. A brave few members of the Municipal Council attempted to revive the motion to at least give it a fair hearing, but were met with silence from the rest of the Council. The City simply just did not want to acknowledge its gay community. Members of the Kingston community and supporters of gay and lesbian Kingstonians fight for recognition were concerned about the council's rejection of the bill and stance on the issue. An article was published in the Whig Standard by Anne Lukitz where she called the council tight-lipped and sanctimonious and a miserable bunch of two-faced wretches. She also brought up their hypocrisy. One week earlier, the council had approved a Respect for Life Week in support of the anti-abortion group VITA, Many members of the community took the Queen's Homophile Association's side and were concerned about how this inaction would affect the democratic process for all Kingston residents. Later, another request was put forward by the Queen's Homophile Association in 1985. Francois Lachance again led the motion, encouraging the council to at the very least discuss it, as gay rights were a part of the political agenda of the 1980s and must be dealt with. 
This motion was defeated 11 to 1, with Councilmember Helen Cooper as the only supporter. One member said that they had never heard of any discrimination cases against LGBT people in Kingston, so the movement was unnecessary. After it was discovered that the movement was discussed by council, there was a public outcry, and many homophobes in the community voiced their objections. One Whig reader wrote in, I was very surprised to see such filth suggested as a day to celebrate the lesbian and gay. They are nothing to be proud of. There is only one natural way of sex. Homosexuality is a very bad case of sickness of the mind, and I feel very sorry for those who do not know any better. Many Kingstonians were angry that such an issue had even been mentioned by the city, showing the extent of the discrimination and intolerance faced by gay and lesbian members of the community at this time. In early 1986, gay activists in Kingston attempted to better their relations with city council by publicly inviting them to a friendly game of hockey. The sporting invitation did not go over well with the council, with members dismissing it as a ridiculous publicity ploy. Council member George Webb went on the record to clarify that he was not interested in playing any kind of game with this organization, and that he intended to not only decline, but ignore such invitations. Mayor John Gerritsen said he was bothered by the press release, which he saw as an obvious attempt to gain some sort of publicity. Lachance defended the press release, saying that it was intended to make the invitation open and public so the council would not be able to shunt it off as they had done in the past. Later that year, activists again reached out to city council for a pride day, and again, they were ignored. In 1988, during the mayoral election, successful candidate Helen Cooper, who had previously voted yes to a Pride Week, changed her mind and said in an interview that if the issue were to come up again, she would vote no because her previous vote for Pride Week put her under a lot of public scrutiny. For the next few years, gay activists chose not to file a request with city council. Instead, they focused their energy on creating Pride celebrations of their own. The Pride Committee continued to plan their Pride events year after year despite the lack of support from the City Council. And despite her lack of official support, Mayor Helen Cooper sent a letter to the Pride Committee commending them for the work that they were doing. In 1990, activists still weren't trying to get city recognition for their community and events, saying, you can spend your energy banging your head against the wall or you can spend it elsewhere. Although gay rights activists in Kingston pushed on in the face of city council silence, organizers never lost sight of what city support would mean to LGBT residents. In an article entitled Reflections on Pride Week, activist Nancy Tatum wrote, It takes a lot of vigilance and energy to stay in the closet. At work, with family, with neighbors, your physician, even with yourself. A lesbian or gay man cannot enjoy the freedom of speech and of association that are taken for granted by the heterosexual majority. And should you come out, you could lose your family, your job, even your life. Vags are thrown off bridges, dikes are stalked and shot. Our meeting places are bombed. In the face of all this, those of us who take steps to counter the system try to do something with compassion, creativity, and courage. The system disregards and denigrates lesbian and gay men. Okay, and let's support and take care of each other. Let's look for ways to get our issues addressed. Let's create sports teams, meeting places, political fora, art and media that represents us. To do any or all of these things, we've got to risk our livelihoods, our housing, and our personal safety. But we do it. 
take a look at the Webster definition of pride again. What's hard to understand? In 1991, pride organizers presented the city with a 400-signature petition declaring June 22nd Lesbian and Gay Pride Day. The motion was, yet again, defeated, with council members citing various reasons for their no vote, including the fear of condoning a certain lifestyle. Flash forward two months. Kingston hosts the busker's rendezvous. Mayor Helen Cooper attended, and at one performance, the mayor overheard a conversation between a man and his son. The man had noted that, there's a bunch of queers here, and said to his son, I'm going to have to teach you how to queer bash. A quick listener note, the term queer bashing refers to the act of beating up any male known to be gay. When Mayor Helen Cooper heard this conversation, she had a change of heart about her vote to not support a city pride. Hearing this conversation between father and son opened her eyes to the realities of homophobia. In a later interview, she admitted that while she was aware of the violence faced by the gay community in Kingston, she wasn't able to realize the extent of it until she experienced it. In 1992, Mayor Helen Cooper directly approved the proposal for a citywide pride without sending it to council for debate. And on June 20th, the pride parade reached the steps of City Hall and the proclamation was read aloud to the excited crowds that had spent decades fighting for city support. The decision was not without protest from both council and community members, but Mayor Cooper stood firm on her decision, approving the request again the following year. The first Pride Parade in Kingston started out with 11 people, and now the parade regularly attracts up to 1,000. Thanks to the persistence of LGBT activists, decades later, Kingston still boasts a growing variety of annual Pride events every June. In 2010, Mayor Mark Erickson became the first Kingston mayor to walk in the Pride Parade, and as of now, he's the only mayor to have done this. Nevertheless, the historical struggle isn't typically acknowledged in today's Pride celebrations. There's a lack of knowledge about just what it took to get us here, as well as how the LGBT community is not a monolith. For example, racialized and poor people from the LGBT community experience forms of violence and oppression that are often invisible to the public. Part of this is due to the fact that Pride parades and celebrations in Kingston have increasingly become opportunities for companies and state institutions to rebrand themselves as queer-friendly, even as their actions contradict this. For example, by donating to vehemently anti-LGBT politicians. This phenomenon is often referred to as pinkwashing. A variety of marketing and political strategies aimed at promoting products, countries, people, or entities through an appeal to gay-friendliness in order to be perceived as progressive, modern, and tolerant. Similarly, as we invite repressive institutions like the police and military to march in pride, we obscure the fact that members of the LGBT community are disproportionately targeted by police violence. This has left many LGBT activists disillusioned by the contemporary state of pride. As one local activist told us, I've never felt welcome at any mainstream pride event because of the ways in which police, the military, corporations, banks, and the state have been given powerful platforms to use LGBT rights advancements for self-promotion and to sell stuff. I feel like pride is about white middle-class parties at the cost of building community and supporting queer and trans people that are struggling with material barriers, oppression, 
violence, and serious mental health issues. We respect the historical and ongoing struggle for justice around Kingston Pride for LGBT people as well as all oppressed people. We also believe it's important to acknowledge the critiques of pinkwashing at Pride as well as the phenomenon of rainbow capitalism. At the same time, however, we celebrate the bravery of LGBT people who continue to openly celebrate at Kingston Pride, particularly in light of the rise of homophobic and transphobic white supremacy movements in Canada. For example, the recent violent queer bashing that happened during Hamilton Pride. At Oakberg Kingston, we have been and will continue to be in solidarity with the LGBT community and all oppressed people, and will continue to fight any injustice in our community. If you would like to get involved or learn more about Oprah Kingston's different events and initiatives, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Oprah Kingston. Thank you for listening to Oprah Kingston's first People's History podcast. Stay tuned for more.